1: Ladies, gentlemen, boys and girls all over the globe, world, intergalactic, wherever you happen to be, while you listen to me, this is Larry Charles, one half of the Game Dev Unchained podcast team. I'm the one that holds the key. The other guy who broke free of the chains or is soon to be, wink wink, maybe, Mr.
2: Brandon Fam. What's up everybody? This is Brandon Fam, despite this is not normally my voice. Uh Coming back from GDC, I lost my voice during the party. So I guess this is a perfect lead way <laughs> for everyone that wants to hear what happened. So uh, thank you for our Patreon supporters. We were yeah, live streaming God. our pre and post. Uh This is something we want to do with every episode. Anybody that's contributing, we want to. This is a list, so I'll go through them. But these guys are worth shout outs because they believe in us. Uh, Jarvis McGee, thank you for your contribution. Ian M., thanks for upgrading. Rindy Myers, Greg Osefo, Nicholas Lance Kroner, Jessica Neil, Nicholas De La Rosas, Habib Khan. Hey, you guys are great, man. Thanks, we we were trading last week as our first official press event, and it was a success. I mean, we were trying new things. And uh, a lot of people were believing in us to check it out on Patreon. And uh, the biggest thing, of course, is our own official Mixer sponsored by Quixel. Yeah. So I'll let Larry take away so you don't hear my my shitty voice.
1: That's all good. <laughs> uh, special shout out to the entire Quixel team, including the ones that made it out to the party with us and got the drink and be merry. Thanks for sponsoring our podcast and sponsoring everything that we do as game developers. We really appreciate you guys. And with that out of the way... Anybody who came to our Game Dev Unchained Quixel Mixer Party, I know you had a good time because it was packed front to back, standing room only, free food and drinks till 12 a.m. We had a good time, you know, seeing a bunch of people that we all used to work with, all used to podcast with, intermingling between Quixel folks and with our folks. We really shut it down. And I can tell you that of all the GDC parties I went to this year, not even biased, like ours was a lot of fun people were engaging and it wasn't just like small groups of clicks of people who already knew each other staying together. It was like people exploring and like, really like, Hey, Hey, what do you do? Like, that's awesome. That's cool. Let's, let's drink together. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was mm-hmm. watching friendships and connections spawn right in front of me. So quick. thanks again for letting us do that. Uh, I hope you trust us enough <laughs> with your brand to do it once again next year. But we had a kick-ass party. A lot of people came out and supported it. It was probably the highlight
2: of my GDC. And that's completely unbiased, by the way. Mm -hmm. The same here, but a little biased. But (laughs) sorry, guys. Uh, I will say that, uh, yes, I think out of all the GDC parties we went to, I personally felt ours was the best. Uh, And I think it has a lot to do with the common... Ground that everybody came there for which was the podcast so everyone had a uh, uh, something that they could talk we'll start off as a talking point and uh, everyone there was there for a very specific reason well to kind of just spread the love of what the podcast is about but also to meet other listeners as well as guests so that was another huge thing like this was the first time uh, for Larry and I to kind of meet everybody face to face. Most of our interviews, as you guys know, are done over the airwaves over our hangouts, right? So we mostly see from the chest up. So a lot of these guys that dropped by and would approach me and Larry, it took us a good five seconds to realize who you guys were. It's like, your face looks very familiar, but you're like 10 feet tall, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh <laughs> So that was a really cool part uh, to kind of finally meet everyone and to substantiate the relationship that we built from their, the conversation that we've had on this podcast. And it was, it was cool, man. It was a group capacity, 250 people throughout the two, three hours that we had that place, a line was outside the whole time people were trying to get in. Uh, Very rarely I saw people just get up and leave. uh, Right when they walk in, people wanted to hang out. So in addition to that, we had a lot of old colleagues drop by, old bosses. Shout out to Cecil. Just Shout out out to Justin. Um, It was really cool. So uh, Quixel was really happy. And um, one thing I like to note before we move on is that you know, the party started at nine. We rolled in around eight thirty. It was sparse. Uh I have to admit, I was kinda like worried, <laughs> but I didn't know what to expect. But what I realized later when the room filled up is that oh, those were the Quixel guys. Our guys show up later because that's what the cool kids do. <laughs> so thank you guys for coming by. It was a huge success. But besides that, Larry what else were we doing that week that was really new so we did a whole lot of like actual on the floor in person interviews
1: we interviewed with um, versus evil we interviewed with super.com we interviewed with uh echo who's basically about to release falcon age uh, this is the lead creative on that and
2: i forgot servius
1: a yeah. lot Happened yeah. feedback isle gear yeah we went to Town man. we really like used the shit out of those press badges. I was trying to sneak in everywhere with my
2: microphone and see what kind of audio clips I could get. It was a really good preview of where we wanna be, yeah. so besides of just sitting us in our office chairs, kind of bringing the news to you guys um through uh these engagements with other people and kind of learning from them, we want to go to these events yeah. and meet the face to face because it is a different type of atmosphere. It's a whole different level that we have an experience as a podcast and uh we want to keep doing a lot of them. I mean, I'm already thinking about E3. So again, if you guys remember a couple episodes back, you know, we're on our way. Larry's already unchained. I'm on my way doing that myself. And mm-hmm. a lot of this push is to uh expand, improve and get information to you guys as best as we can so GDC in that regard was a huge success. And we were able to act as press, be actual journalists, yeah. see that side of people wanting to talk to us to talk about their game because Larry and I one day will be on the other side with an advantage <laughs> of having our own mics <laughs> when people want to interview. Yeah, right. I'm- so I'm still going to apply for press. Exactly. (laughs) We're still going to
1: be as press. Like once we do our interview, we're going to walk to other people's booths.
2: (laughs) Yes. So it was great to kind of see that side. So a little bit about that tidbit. Um, It's a little bit unassuming because we don't really think about that side of how, when we have a product we want to sell or what the next steps are. But firsthand we saw exactly what those are like weeks before GDC actually happened. I was getting emails flooded in our inboxes right asking hey game dev on chain hey brandon hey larry if you have the time squeeze us in let's make an appointment let's make this happen like weeks before so that was very informative as a game developer to kind of see that happen because it, there was no mystery really to it uh or when it was mysterious it was quickly uncovered as a bunch of pr guys reaching out to this press list. Once we, you know, sign up that we're our info is out there for everyone to reach out and they just reached out. So it, was, it it seemed just as simple as that. Like when GDC happens, you just reach out individually to these guys, set an appointment, have an embargo. If you do and just let the press have at it and get your game out there. And so us being on the other side of the fence saying this happen. um, it was very familiar because we were just doing interviews as we always do. Um, but it was nice to kind of do it in person because, you know, we got to use Larry's height and build to our advantage. There's not a lot of interviewers six foot five and ready to go. You know what I mean? So it was very, I think out of everybody, we made a very good impression. And as interviewers, you know, we've always had the advantage of being game developers ourselves. So we ask questions beyond the initial, what's this about, right? We really sympathize, empathize with developers and ask questions that is, you know, beyond the surface where I feel most interviewers just ask, like, how fun is this? How long is the game? How long have you been working? It's like, all right, you know, once you get an investor, you know, if you're talking about self um financing or not like about your second game this and that right these are questions that we have as developers so it was really cool so we're we're geared up man we're we're pumped we want to go to e3 if we can to uh to get another uh take on it so uh the next i would say we have a month full of gdc stuff uh early access people on patreon will see these first but every week we'll basically break down our interviews of what we have, um, what we did at GDC, basically. Um, the video uh, is complementary to the audio, obviously. So as you guys are listening to this, there's no reason for you guys to watch the video. But if you want to watch the video, there is a video with B-roll footage. It's our first attempt of trying to uh, make this more than an audio podcast. So go through our YouTube, check those out. Uh, this one will be dropped on Thursday, yeah, I was uh, just about to say, <laughs> you're <sending them> there. <laughs> yes, and day one or day two listeners, videos will be it. dropped on Thursday. So, <clears throat> this one, everyone's getting it at the same time. But, uh, if you're a Patreon support, you get it a week early. So, this is something we're really pushing, hoping to show that we're gonna take game dev unchained to the next level. So, we were able to talk to super.com, as you guys remember, we made an episode with Eugene a while back, and Shout for sure, Eugene. Shout out to Eugene, whom we met actually at the booth, who walked up to us, who recognized us, which was awesome. Uh, But Super.com is an indie publisher. They're new in the game, but uh, that doesn't make them uh, any more of a noob than anybody else. These guys are ex-developers, so they understand the, the perspective, the standpoint of developers, and they sympathize a lot. And that showed the type of games that they were publishing. Four games in title, total, completely different, completely different from each other, each having two-year development. So 2020 is their year of releasing these titles. So you guys are listening about games that are releasing a year from now, which is awesome. And uh, if you guys ever want to track back to what super.com again is about, uh, Larry, why don't you kill some time while I look up that episode? Sure.
1: Sure. <clears throat> Well, the best part about interviewing with Super.com is actually one of the games, uh, a tactical war game, and their creative director was like dressed in full on like World War II garb, had the helmet, had the fatigues, boots. And when you see that level of passion in somebody trying to pitch their product, you know, it really means a lot to them or they get paid a lot. Either way, uh, I was definitely happy that they you know, extended that kind of a courtesy for trying to show off their products. So Super.com, we got to see four different types of games that are going to be released across all consoles and platforms. And we've got some footage, but we also have some audio that we're going to splice right into this episode. And we can jump right in and show you guys each game that we get to play. So we got to check out four games that Super.com is going to be publishing over the next year and a half. And all four of them were very unique and interesting. From developers all over the world as well so we're talking indie teams from india you know with the game that they're really excited about we had an indie team from i think uh maybe somewhere up in northern europe i forgot exactly where it was but four different developers four different types of games completely super.com has a very well, they have a varied (laughs) portfolio. So Mm -hmm. if you're interested in like any sort of publishing for an indie, like definitely show them your stuff because I can't say that they have a narrow margin as to what they look for other than quality bar. But as far as subject matter, as far as breadth of content, they didn't have a left constraint or right constraint. They just look for good games,
2: it feels like. Yeah. So again, if you guys need to... Remind yourself what Super SuperDuckHop is about. It's episode 171. Very good tips. It's, it's basically about how they publish and choose their games to publish. Yeah. And uh, uh, be sure to check that out if you have the time. Again, the video complements this episode. We'll be dropping on Thursday for everyone. And then uh, thereafter, everyone else is going to get the future episodes uh, early access on Patreon. So if you guys want to support, that's great. So uh without for super dot com. Thank you for the free shirts and hats and yep. lanyards. I love the flag. Yeah. So these are uh, the there's a total of four different areas for four games I'm gonna play back to back and then we'll join you at the end of it. So enjoy.
1: Hans you look just like you came out of the war, man.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty good, thanks. Well, yeah, it was
1: a
0: tough one, but we survived.
1: Yes, yes. I saw Brandon was helping command the troops on the other side.
3: Yeah, more like killing the troops. Yeah
0: What's your role on the game? Uh, well, I'm the game director oh. So I'm the one Well, I actually don't know what I do But I'm very busy doing it
3: <laughs> how, how big is your team?
0: We have 15 guys at PortaPlay
3: Wow, wow, wow Is Super.com your first publisher? Or you guys uh, done well,
0: before with Well, we've done games with publishers before But this is our first, like, bigger publisher So we are very much looking forward to the partnership
1: And how's been the general reception so far today? You're appreciating the fans? Or how are we doing?
0: Yeah, I mean generally we get very positive reactions, uh, of course there's always improvements and so we are working hard to bring the game up to really top notch, but so far everybody loves it. All right,
1: so for our audience who's going to be watching through the camera, can you describe the game a little bit for us? Most certainly.
0: Well, Broken Alliance is a game about eight soldiers, eight British soldiers from World War II, lost behind enemy lines. They're on a mission but they crash land and everybody dies and they're like, what is our purpose? Where is our officers? What should we do? And four of them, they're veterans. They're like, well, we should run away and save ourselves. And four of them are rookies. They're like, no, there's got to be a mission, and we need to find it and solve it for honor and for immortality. So you're kind of the the person, the fate that directs which of these two fractions are going to win the argument. And what is the game going to end up with?
3: I was demoing the game a bit, and you guys were kind of... Uh, what, what, what kind of changes are you introducing in the turn-based strategy? Uh, one of the things that you were demonstrating, or at least telling me about, was uh, you're, you're able to make all the moves and then press, press go.
0: Yeah, exactly. What we're doing is we learned it's called WeGo turn-based tactics. You go, it's go at the same time. So basically, you have all the time in the world to plan your moves. You can really micro what you're going to do, then you press execute, and you and the enemy move at the same time. Some games have done this before us, but what we're doing is we're really optimizing it to be uh, user-friendly, so it's very quickly to do your turn. You can do very fine-tuned things, but it's a few clicks to do it.
3: Uh, by kind of kind of changing it like that, like, what kind of new strategies are you introducing that people are used to to other strategy games?
0: Uh, Well, I mean we are not reinventing the wheel in regards to mechanics, but we are doing it more realistically. So we have realistic ballistics, uh, we have cover, which only works as cover if it actually stops enemy bullets. We have bullets which misses you, then hit somebody behind you. We have explosive damage, which is reduced if you're behind different kinds of cover. Uh, We have height advantages, we have suppression, meaning you will hit worse if everybody shoots at you. Uh, we have a lot of commands, which are kind of uh, makes your squad work in an organized fashion. You can do smoke grenades, you can do covering fire. So it's more about a realistic approach than, than about some totally new mechanics.
1: And you guys actually put a lot into this then. So would you let me know how long would it take like an average user to do a playthrough of the full experience?
0: Uh, well, the game is not easy. So you might, game over the first time you play it. Uh, But then you try again, and then you are better, and you have unlocked some things, and then you can complete it, we're not totally sure, but it will be around uh, 6 to 10 hours.
1: And what consoles are PC, mobile, where's our target platforms?
0: Uh, Well, we're looking at all target platforms. The first one are gonna be PC and Switch.
1: Switch is getting a lot of good games that we've seen at this show, so another one from Super.com. And what's the working relationship been like between you and publishing? Everything great?
0: It's been excellent. I mean, better. It's it's a it's a new company, but it's a lot of uh, old experience, so to speak. So we're really looking forward. So far, it's looking very good. Yeah,
1: we've seen a lot of promising things come out. So we're looking forward to yours as well. And how long has the game been in development? One more time. Uh, around two years. Two years.
0: Yeah, and uh, we've been a, kind of a small team working on it, but just keep working on it while we did other things to survive. And now, final, we got this publishing deal which allows us to put the whole team in on it and really uh, grind away. Okay,
1: so like you guys were kind of moonlighting on a couple other things while getting this you know, officially signed. And then now that it is, you're able to carry it all the way through. So that must have been a good feeling for the team to like, all right, we got support, we're taking it all the way. So I'm sure everyone's really happy about that over there, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. And as you say, moonlighting is not the wrong phrase because we've kind of been under the radar. We wanted to do a splash. And to tell about it until we signed with a publisher. So here we are.
1: Congratulations. Thanks a lot. Is there anything cool you want to say to the team or to the fans who will be watching this online and one last thing you want to get to like get some hype for your game or to get people to go check it out?
0: Well, I just want to say if you really like realistic tactical games which are easy to play, then Broken Lines is totally for you.
1: You heard it first.
3: Thank you, thank you guys.
1: <laughs> Alright, we're live.
3: Alright, so uh, we're gonna go through each demo, so why don't we go with the first one, what's the, the, the game called? Okay, so the game is called Raji.
4: Raji is the is the name of the main protagonist, you see her, mm-hmm. A girl. So, the game is set in ancient India and it's uh, largely based on uh, Indian mythology. So, she gets to fight all those demons and she's blessed by Indian gods to save the world from those demons who in turn have taken away her brother. Mm-hmm. That's where the game starts. So you, you you not only get to fight those demons, you sometimes uh, get to solve some puzzles to get some special skills and abilities. Well, all in all, it's, it's going to be six hours of solid, good gameplay.
1: And it looks like on the enemies, the health indication is also signified in their targeting, right? They lose health. They start to lose little dots around their feet as well. Am I picking up on that? Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's pretty nifty.
3: What other mechanics... Uh, that that you guys are really proud of um uh, Raji. I mean, what was it that really made you guys interested in publishing it? What,
4: what made us? Interested? Yeah, yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. Just, I want to know this, yeah. We actually some some of our team uh, has been tracking it down since the Kickstarter campaign yeah. uh, that that was uh, 2 years ago and well from when I first saw Raji, just st- I was stunned how beautiful it was. So, right, right. I mean, so that was the easy. That, that, that's easy
3: to see. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so like, we, we talked to a lot of developers, but our question always has been with the publisher side because right. that's a, a big mystery to a lot of indie developers out there. So what what's the, the myths out there that you feel like, eh, you know, it's not so bad as it used to be?
4: Well, actually, we are probably not the best company to ask that <laughs> no. because... Uh, on our side, in our team, there are a lot of former and even active uh, developers. Right. They were indie developers and so on. So that's why we actually understand all the problems, right. uh, all the needs that developers have, right. and that's why we probably are not the guys to ask about the
3: needs and so on. Right. Because we we talked to Eugene like a few months ago, and you guys are pretty new. This is your first GDC as a company. Right? Yes. Alright, so like, like, most of these games aren't out yet, right?
4: Uh, they're, they they're all, they all are bound to be released in 2020. 2020, there we yeah. go. Yeah,
3: He was mentioning something Raji like that. Raji
4: should be out in Q1. Right, right. Q1 2020, simultaneously on all platforms.
1: So this is the next release game on your way for you guys? Yeah. Okay, cool. And what would be the biggest selling point you would say? Like, you could tell our audience, like, one thing about, like, hey, if you really like this, you should go check out Raji. other than
4: really s- I would say I would put it that way uh, since Raji is a unique game <laughs> <laughs> as we, there's
3: nothing out there like it.
4: so there's nothing out there but it's actually Very nothing good. like it Very good. so I would say that if you just love cool beautiful games then Raji is a game for you All right.
3: I can do it perfect, perfect. alright let's okay. the second one. Uh, one second. One second. Uh, real quick what is the studio's name that's working oh, on
4: Oh, okay. Game? So it's not in Hats Games. Uh-huh. Uh, they are actually from India. Okay. So that's why the game has this, you know, genuine Indian feel.
3: Yeah. That's, oh, that's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what we love about Indie developers. It's like they really take non traditional backstories and really present it to the public. And it's, it's no, really I exciting. Can.
4: It's nice because this year we brought four games and they all from all around the world. Like we got games from India. France, Brazil, and Denmark. Wow. So, pretty much scared it all got the around the United Europe. Nations like this on right. right
3: there. <laughs> it's really cool. Okay.
1: All right, so what's next on the lineup?
4: Okay, next one is Metaphora. It's, I would say, as beautiful as Raji, and it's what we call extraterrestrial science fantasy. So, what you get is you get, uh, which is unusual. You get two characters and you switch between them. Okay. Uh, so the main uh, protagonist is Moony Cat and his sidekick looks—that's him. Looks like a little star. Uh, so the uh, ultimate goal is to revitalize the planet of Metaphora, Weatherly, and you got a lot of you know just magnificent landscapes, views to admire, and so on.
1: All right. as there um, so where are we right now in the game?
4: Oh, we're actually. Uh, up in the middle if you, if you want to uh, turn second. We're, we're supposed to be flying and gathering st- uh, so called star seeds using them as a fuel to revitalize the environment
1: the environment or behind the character looks pretty cool um, I love how the sense of scale and distance Like I feel really small but I also feel like I'm looking up at something gigantic here we go, Brandon's got it working magic touch Alright, so yeah. Huge world.
4: Huge. Yeah it is. And you see part of the world is already revitalized and part of it is dry and dead. So you get to fight fight some viruses and you got you, you get to fight some uh, robots.
1: Alright, we're back in, so we're moving on to the next game here. So can you tell us a little about this one?
4: Okay, so last but not the least, by no means, is a Retro Makina. It's what we call a retro-futuristic post-apocalypse game. It has an elements of RPG in it. Uh, well, your main uh, uh, protagonist is a robot. who's looking to uh, fix himself by finding a special machine from the past. And so, uh, his adventures are the main uh, storyline. So he gets to fight the bad robots, of course. Uh,
1: them or no? Uh,
4: no. He use parts of them, he, but he uses some of the stuff that he finds in those crates. Uh, and then he gets to solve puzzles, which sometimes are a bit tricky. Well, at least for me. Uh, uh, and you even can gain control on those bad robots, and you can control them and make them do whatever you want, like attack each other and so on. Well,
1: Brandon's figured out how to attack, so now he's going for it. Wham! <laughs> this is cool, A little robot action adventure over here, and I'm assuming RPG elements as well because you said you get to upgrade yourself. You get to upgrade your hit points. Yep. You have to upgrade your strengths.
4: Exactly. So you're pretty, you're pretty close to the first, uh, to the first robot that you can control by using
3: your brain power. I'm, I'm noticing a non pattern here. You guys are really diverse in your portfolio here. Yeah, that's true. Because, so.
4: well, since uh, we are pretty new and we are pretty flexible, so we, we, we don't stick to any particular genre or, or anything. So we're pretty much open to everything. That is
3: very, very fresh because I, I think uh, we can all agree most publishers kind of stick to a formula that they feel might be like crazy popular but that's never the case right no true really guess what the audience wants so
4: right so that's why we 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 tend to you know choose with a heart
1: and how did you find out about these guys the developer here
4: oh those uh the developer actually this game is from brazil and it's made by orbit studio so they contacted us when we first announced that we had a fund so they contacted us and that's that's how it goes yeah nice
1: and when exactly, when exactly do we get to see this on live marketplaces?
4: Uh, it's bound to be released in Q2 2020.
1: All right. On the way. Well, what cool new features, I guess, in this game that make it stand apart from some of the other games that you guys are publishing?
4: Well, all of our games are unique, actually. Fair uh, And, well, first of all, it's got robots in it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and second, uh, the game mechanics are a bit, I would say, fresh. Okay so that's pretty much it so I,
1: think that's your oh, you killed him. I think he was on your team when his health was green I
4: work alone <laughs> you sometimes do need them to solve those puzzles
1: <laughs> just so we know where's the reset button in the event that we mess up <laughs> and
3: so all the projects here it seems like about a year and a half two years in development is that the time frame that you guys are looking usually uh,
4: actually, uh, that's not any, as I said, we're pretty flexible. It's, there's not any scheme that we tend to stick to. Like, if you're, if you're, if you're two years in development, then we'll take you. And if, if you uh, started a, a bit later, then not. So it's, you know, it all depends on the game, actually.
1: And what would you say is probably one of the most attractive features about this game that you like specifically? Uh, Art style, gameplay, puzzles, what speaks to you about playing this game?
4: I would say that uh, what attracted me the most from the first view was uh, of course art style. And then, as I got further into the game, puzzles were cool, so it gave me a lot of of fun.
1: And lastly, about how long will it take for a brand new user to fully play through the experience that you guys have to offer, would you say? Is that known yet? Because it sounds like there's still some time before it comes out, but...
4: Well, I don't don't believe that you need any special time. Okay. I mean, the the game is pretty easy to play.
1: Okay, good. Very accessible.
4: Right. It has, has, you know, it has this retro feeling that actually is, is pretty nice. I mean, it all looks like something you used to play on those old consoles. Yeah,
1: the isometric is, it'll never, like, go out of style for me. I always love good isometric games. Well, thank you so much for walking us through everything. We're really excited about the games you guys are offering in the next, uh, the next year. Yeah, 2020 is going to be big for you guys, 2019 even as well. So I think Raji took my heart out of the ones that I've seen, but I'm actually excited about all of them. So.
3: Yeah, I really love like, the different varieties that you guys are displaying. So it makes me as a developer very excited to come to publishers like yourself to be considered. Right? right? So uh, it's definitely awesome that you guys are going with that
1: approach.
4: Right, thanks a lot, and I'm sure we're, we have more games to sign this year, so you'll be the first to know. Oh,
1: please, please, yeah. Please. Definitely yeah. keep us in the loop, but definitely keep helping the indie guys out there, man. You guys having a business model of publishing indie games is great for the community, so any indie devs out there, definitely go check out super.com, check out what they're doing, start a conversation with these guys.
3: Thank you.
4: Thank you. Thank you, Thank you very much.
1: So hey guys, taking a break from our normal commercials for Quixel because we actually want to do them a favor and tell everyone to go check out the Epic and Quixel partnership for the Rebirth demo that we got to see at GDC. Oh my God, you talk about photorealism, movie style, high, high, high quality assets in actual games, rendering real time. Now is the time. You definitely need to go check out the Rebirth demo. It shows you everything as to why people would need to get their hands on Quixel Megascans, Quixel Mixer right now. This -hmm. is like one of the highest fidelity visual demos I've seen that shows organic nature, natural models, great lighting. Plus, I think they had like some Houdini effects in there as well. If you want to see where the future of gaming is, go check them out and go learn how to use Quixel now so you can
2: get a job. Exactly. The great thing about that demo, which is great for any developers out there, it was made by three artists. That is crazy. So, again, Check it out. If you want to get in on the action and not be left behind, go to Quixel.com, check out megascans. Mega Scans. Use our GDE code GDU10 for that first year, 10% off. Again, yeah. GDU10, Quickso.com. And I, I'm jumping back in. I I I seriously,
1: seriously have to underline this. If you want to see the potential of Mega Scans, Quixel Mixer, and all the tools that they're working on, just go look at the epic 2019 rebirth demo. In the partnership that they released. It's one of the most amazing things I've seen in a very long time. You have to see it for yourself, and I don't have to sell it anymore. Once you've seen that video, you'll be like, okay, I get it. I promise you.
3: All right. Welcome, guys. This is IO Gear, and we're going to talk to uh, a bunch of these guys and kind of ask what's up, all right? So, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners and watchers out
5: there? Hi, everyone. I'm Michael Volpe with IO Gear, the marketing manager for IO Gear and Caliber Gaming.
6: Hi everyone, my name is Irma Pitaya. I'm the uh, product manager for KVM.
3: Okay, so uh, why don't you kind of walk us through what you guys are demoing today?
5: So, today we're demoing, our live demo is our four Cinema 4K KVM uh, with full-on capabilities of using one video, uh, one set of video, multiple monitors, one keyboard, one mouse, attached to multiple machines. So from a game developer's perspective, it allows for you to offset a lot of the resources. If you're part of a cinematic team, if you're an indie developer and you have a number of debug machines that you want to do multiple tests for, uh, it allows you to have one space up to to four monitors using DisplayPort 1.2, but natively the two monitors, widescreen support, and allows for you to basically run your entire game studio from one, one workstation via one device, plug and play.
3: Uh, so obviously it benefits the game developer. Obviously you don't have to spread the resources thin. Uh, what other benefits do you guys have uh, along with this machine that you're trying to achieve?
6: Well, the KVM benefits, you don't have to have a lot of clutter. And then while you are working, let's say you have four sources. You're running a... Um, A program on one source debugging um, as you let that run you can switch to another sources where you can watch video or check your video and then you can check uh, you can also switch to another sources uh, that allows you to check your email whatever so all those four sources technically you can have four different functionality without each other
5: interfering
3: so is this being I'm imagining uh, already implemented in a lot of the studios what we've, kind of feedback are you guys going to get?
5: We've heard uh, from a number of studios from both indie to large uh, that utilize this function in a number of different ways, from an IT perspective, bouncing between servers, to indie developers that we've discovered that have, are utilizing the feature for the debugging feature or uh, the ability to render the cinematics while also having the capability of you know bringing their MacBook and plugging in. Uh, it allows them to have a level of security as well because the KBM provides an air gap so if you want, you can keep most of the machines off the Internet so there's no chance of the source code being compromised or a virus in, you know, infecting and destroying months of work. Uh, you can have it set up so that every uh, everything is basically secure on this closed network but then still have the capability of checking your email, going to YouTube, watching that cat video on Instagram. The perfect setup.
3: Yeah, that's huge. Um, we come from a developer background, and we're always you know, wrestling between two machines, especially when we're test kit and stuff. So this is definitely a huge benefit, just being able to keep, like, your source offline as much as possible. Uh, Any developers, from their standpoint, are adopting this type of uh, technology right now. What else are they doing with it?
5: So we've had uh, animation studios reach out to us and work very closely with implementing, you know, dozens and hundreds of these devices to help with, the heavy rendering loads and for, uh, you know, anything where it's very resource intensive and you want to, you know, basically not try to tax the computer. You don't want Premiere to crash. You don't want your, you you know, the rendering of your Unreal Engine basically unspooling because you decided to open an email while it was at a critical point.
3: (laughs) It definitely, uh, (laughs) it definitely, uh, we can't use the excuse of hitting bacon leaving anymore. (laughs) For like the next six hours, usually, we bake the lights, and we're like, oh, I'm done for the day, and then we'll leave. But now this gives us time to actually right. do other things.
5: So, like, a functionality from, you know, it allows you to have a clean clean space. So, if you want, you can be like us, where you have four computers basically hiding underneath this uh, this table, but you only have the, this one setup. So, you can have, like, that clean, you know, if you are one someone who can get the widescreen monitor set up, this is the dream.
3: Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> it's really nice. So, so uh, are, is it able to run up to to what uh, image resolution? Does it go up to 4K? Is there a, a limit?
6: Yes, this runs up to 4096 by 2160 at 60 hertz, cinema 4K. Yes, for each two of the monitors. Now, if you were to daisy chain the monitors, uh, the, displays, the display port monitors, then you are sharing the 4k resolution on each monitor mm-hmm.
3: and that's all coming from one box all
6: right. All right. That's impressive. and it comes with um, two port USB 3.0 hub so you can have your your extra hard drive you can yeah. have your extra peripheral
3: right. you know we're just gonna end up using Netflix right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just Netflix on Netflix. <laughs> well, that's that's amazing. That's awesome. So what what is this uh, game demo that you have so far?
5: So we've got Titanfall up base, we've got Titanfall 2 up basically to show that you know, your average game developer can have that moment of jumping from having their you know, game rendering in the background and playing something in on another device. That so the fun device. The nice feature that the KVM allows is you can have the hotkey. So you can jump via using the keyboard or the mouse to each source. So if you want, you can basically, you know, all right, I'm gonna let the machine render, I'm gonna jump to my other computer, maybe I'll get a few minutes of Counter-Strike in, a couple minutes of checking my emails, jump right back in with the quick switch, or you can physically press the button on on your desktop.
3: So obviously the applications for developers is clear, what about the the, the content uh, sharer side, the streamers, and do they have applications with this device?
5: So a streamer could have applications with this device. It is you know it's ultimately the the question of how you want to utilize it. If you have multiple computers and you want one spot to have it all, the KVM allows you to have that flexibility and the ability to expand or build out depending on what you're looking for. So in the case of what we have the docking station setup for if you have your MacBook and you want to connect it to your KBM you can leave all your you know big hardcore PCs behind, take your laptop, do work come back, plug in and now you have access to your source so if you're a Twitch streamer and you have multiple devices, multiple things going on you got your editing equipment and finishing up the render of your latest YouTube video you can utilize it in multiple ways um, we do have other devices that allow you know that are capable so we have our ultra fast 60 gigahertz 4K video extender it's an in room solution that allows you to broadcast 4K video with a near zero latency so if you're someone who's doing VR it provide it could provide a wireless solution to your HTC Vive your Oculus also if you're you know if you're a hardcore gamer and you're using a 4K device like the Xbox One X or the PlayStation 4 Pro This allows you to have a minimalized wire solution. So theoretically, you could have it set up, connected to your KBM, Mm -hmm. right? No? Yes, yes
6: you can. (laughs) So is that device part of it too? What is that device This is the transmitter. This is the 60 gigahertz wireless. 60 gigahertz wireless, uh,
5: 60 feet. It broadcasts on a 60 gigahertz band. It's dedicated one-to-one relationship. Uh, There's currently very few other devices that are in that 60 gigahertz band. what We've tested with uh, the latest routers that b- claim 60 gigahertz and no interference, uh, because it's a huge band, huge pipeline of data. You can get the full K, 4K experience uh, at 30 frames per second. We're not quite yet at 60. That's just something that's not feasible on the marketplace right at this moment.
3: Besides, uh, in the near future, you guys obviously wanting everyone to have this on their, in their homes, right? What What is the next five years? What is the ultimate goal of IOGEAR?
5: So the ultimate goal of IOGEAR is essentially building products that are designed to help connect the big investments that you are purchasing. Uh, everything that we've designed is designed to connect and add enhancements, bring bring features that may have been lost in transition. So if you bought, uh, you know, com- on the computer accessory side, we allow you to have all the-, the capabilities that you may have lost with your MacBook where it has just the USB-C port now. Uh, on the gaming side, we're bringing uh, quality, awesome products that with a great value for someone who may not want to invest in a Razer or HyperX. On the game developer side with our KVMs, we're trying to bring that ability to minimize and maximize the productivity that they have and they're looking for in their space and in what they're hoping to do so everything from an indie developer to a you know triple a game studio can utilize the kvm in the manner and the way that they would need to
3: awesome well thank you guys so much this is our last kind of like uh, handing the mic over anything that you want to shout out anything you want to talk to our audience about what website to go to this is the opportunity to sell.
5: <laughs> so if anyone's interested in any of the products that are here or other products that we have online, head over to www.iogear.com or check out us out on our social handles, iogear at Facebook and iogear at Twitter. Uh, we pr- profile and show a lot of great products, and we're expanding into various markets, including um, the Latin America. So expect to see us there. All
1: right. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. So I just got out of the experience. Uh, I'm a believer in haptic feedback. Definitely it's come a long way. The first time I experienced it was like a catcher's chest pad that would just rumble where I got shot, but it, it didn't have anything to do with like 3D. Like I couldn't push in, push under or touch or feel different
7: sensations of weight. And you guys
1: actually are achieving that really well. If you can show the device and walk us through it for some of the people watching our show.
7: So yeah, basically the hardware mechanics is very simple. We only have like two motors in it, and this direction and this direction, like two degrees of freedom. And what we do is basically when you touch the virtual object, that gives the counter forces uh, uh, against the uh, virtual object. That's how you feel it's actually there. So yeah, basically the simple is that. So uh, yeah, and uh, it's other other than that, it's just uh, how how strong you give against uh, your uh, hand or... Uh, you know, like shooting a gun, we can actually uh, pull up. The recoil was good. Yeah. 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 That was oh, really cool. cool. Nice. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. You simulated with a bigger gun or something?
7: Yeah, let's go machine gun, like a more uh, smaller of us. But, yeah, it's actually depends on the motor's uh performance. So with this size of the uh the devices, like, you know, the power is kind of limited as well. So, yeah, we kind of, in the demo, we kind of, you know, use the small guns. <laughs> yeah.
3: So you guys uh, kind of talked about uh, you coming from robotics. Yeah to help amputees and then naturally uh, progress into this. Mm. Do you see that type of technology feeding back into it since VR is kind of really hot a lot of investors right now? Do you feel like a lot of that knowledge will help society back?
7: Yeah, I think so. I definitely uh, think so. So especially like, you know, uh, knowledge in the wearable has, uh, it's really important like, you know, how easily you can wear this in this uh, wearable devices you can, uh, it doesn't soak up the uh, wet uh, sweat or anything right. like that so it's easy to clean yeah. something like that so yeah this kind of experience helped us a lot so i think any other field of this kind of you know wearable technology something like that and because of the vr is you know emerging so yeah any kind of uh field can help this kind of new technologies yeah is
1: this the first excuse me, is this the first main product you guys are releasing in this line is there more to come as far as like maybe leg, as far as head chest other areas are you developing some new stuff
7: yeah, actually, this was the second generation, and the, before that, we have uh, uh, the two lineups. One is uh, we call Exos Gripper, which okay. is like a grip only, like a gripping uh, specifically for gripping. Uh, so it's good for gripping the object, but the you know the challenge that it has was like it couldn't touch the fixed objects, so just like you touch the cube, right? You cannot really stop your hand right there. So yeah. that's why we come up with this kind of wrist wearable devices. So previous generation was like three times heavier than this but yeah i we worked with uh like car companies like a nissan and uh along with it like they wanted to touch the driving uh handles on something like that and uh, yeah we came up with this kind of design and uh, yeah that's that's how we uh released this one back in october uh in the future maybe like uh we are not really thinking about you know for the other parts of the body more on the focusing on the hands uh, but maybe for the finger tracking Focus. and uh, yeah
1: love fingertips right. evolved, or even if it doesn't stop like you said but just letting my tips and fingers know that they've contacted right me right right 10 times like <laughs> oh my God, i'm in this is the matrix
3: so yeah yeah yeah
7: yeah. so yeah that's the, our future plan yeah okay.
3: do you feel the uh um enterprise industries are going to be driving the driving force for vr right now because a lot of entertainment and stuff it's mostly it seems like honda and all these car companies trying to put the customer into the seat of the car, the virtual car or something. Yeah. It seems like those guys are the ones that are really pushing VR more.
7: Yeah, I think so. So we, we definitely want to look into the consumer market in the future, but uh, I think, you know, uh, getting into the scale and making a mass production for more, like, you know, making the price cheaper is... Yeah. The- timing is critical so and you know right now we is still it's just the headset itself it's still growing and yeah. not really the consumer level so that's why we are currently focusing on uh, our businesses and especially because specifically we are located in Tokyo and uh, we are very close to Japanese car makers and the manufacturers so we are currently uh, closely working with you know Nissan and Honda like uh, they want to use haptic technology for, like, car design, you know, design review, mm-hmm. and also human uh, interfaces uh, check, like, you know, sitting in a driving scene right. driving to make sure that handle is right position, the uh, bottom right. is easy to push, and also, like, assembly simulation, everything, the you know, the data is there, but is it easy to assemble or something like that? So, sure. yeah, uh, that kind of thing is uh, our main focus right now.
3: Yeah, because one of the things that uh, we keep seeing or relate it back to is, like, back when arcades were really hot, before home consoles became a thing and more commonplace. We see the same thing with VR. Yeah. It's like it's it's like that, that slow progression right, where right, before right. we hit the consumer and yeah. it seems like it's 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 going to the right steps like yeah. because everybody that wears VR stuff they get it. Yeah. It's interesting, it's different, yeah. and it's very wow. interactive. Yeah. But it's just that little like you said, right. the little price gap right there yeah. before the people get it.
7: Yeah. So yeah, we definitely th- believe that it's gonna come, but yeah. it's just a matter of the timing, right? Yeah. So by then, like, what we're gonna do is we're just gonna, you know, keep surviving yeah. and keep investing on the R yeah. and D and focusing on, all, you know, the haptic feedback is gonna be get better and better. So that's that's our uh, near future uh, roadmap. Plus, you
1: guys, being ahead of the game means your technology will be ahead of the game when the the market is wide open, right? So when it's fully adopted, when there's less competition in the VR space, more unified platforms, or even just software, you guys might be on version 3 or 4, and who knows what the capabilities will be there. Uh, we look at this as game developers, and I say, man, I can't wait to play games with this, right? Like, just doing the gun is one thing, but racing games, feeling the car vibration in your hand, Like, if you're big into automotives, you know that, like, your butt, your back, your hand actually feels a lot of the road sensation as you're driving to have even that much more detail in my driving experience my Gran Turismo will be like way better experience than it was currently with just the little controller like to actually feel the rumble as I'm sliding off the road and you know I think that there's a lot of applications even game development so I'm glad you guys are here uh have any really cool games or people come across you guys technology and be like oh we would love to work with this are you guys excited about any games potentially involving something like this
7: um so maybe you you may know about it but in japan somehow it's now getting a uh, vtuber like you know virtual youtuber it's kind of getting really big and that's you know like a virtual character and they kind of t- want to talk uh, talk with them what one thing they want to do is you know like interacting with these characters uh we also japan has also have a big ip's so like you know pokemon or something like that they want to interact with this Pikachu. right 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 yeah, yeah. the virtual characters something like that it's like you know a lot of game developers interested in it and uh, yeah entertainment wise we will probably first focus on the location based entertainment just like you know shooting a gun or interacting characters but uh, it's not for one device for one family or something like that but yeah location based but yeah yeah, that'll be yeah, different use cases and
1: Yamato one last question for me what's your role specifically with uh, XC and on this project so that the audience can know
7: yeah, um, uh, I'm a COO and the product lead, so basically I'm taking care of all the, you know, business uh, directions and also product strategy, making sure everything's right and yeah, and uh, yeah, most everything needed to, get, you know, get forward. <laughs> so if
1: Brandon and I need a job, we come to you and like we have it. On man, thank you so much for taking some time to walk us through this. It's this really exciting technology. I love VR and AR and anything that makes me feel the experience even more. Like I'm all for it, so you got my vote, man.
7: Right, thanks a lot. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Game Dev Unchained, Larry Charles here, and today we're interviewing Richard Rouse. We're going to check out the game The Church in the Darkness. Right, cool. Glad to be here. Awesome. So you guys can't see it right now, but we're going to get B-roll and we're going to get footage as well, so don't worry. Now, please take me through the story before we jump into the demo. What is The Church in the Darkness?
8: Yeah, so we are a top-down infiltration game set inside a religious cult in the 1970s. Okay. So you're infiltrating this group try to find your nephew, Alex, see if he's okay, see if he wants to leave. And you don't know if the cult group that he's joined is just a bunch of weird, radical hippies who want to be in the jungle or if they're actually dangerous and apocalyptic. Okay. And I was just going to
1: ask, how did my nephew get in? Did they kidnap him? Or if he joined, then I'm going to have to...
8: No, he joined. Oh, man, and so... they, you know, he had some... You know his backstory is he had sort of troubled teenage years and and didn't his dad was absent and stuff and so he ended up joining this group because they provide him a lot of support they got him off of drugs and stuff like that but now he's moved down to South America and his mom is like what is going on here so she's called you okay. uh, her you know you're you're his uncle or aunt depending on which you pick and then uh, you you have some ex law enforcement background so you're able to go in and try to find him and sure. see what's up cool so I feel somewhat badass right like I I had no my way around yeah, this type of skills, thing or. you know, the game is designed to be as realistic as possible in some ways. Like, obviously, it's still a game. Let's see it. You know, it's got a lot of gamey stuff in it. But it's also not, you're not going to survive a shootout with three people, you know. Are you lead designer, creative director on the project? so I'm the director, designer, writer, um, and do a lot of programming, too. And, okay, so then my next question is, how long has it been in development? Yeah, a number of years. uh, Like, four, four four-ish. Labor of love, I can see. Yeah, no, I was in AAA for a long time, and that was fun in its own way, and I worked on stuff like... The suffering games back in the PS two era and then State of Decay most recently State at Microsoft. Decay. Um State of Decay
1: two or State of Decay one.
8: I was sort of on the tail end of State of Decay one and then the beginning of State of Decay two and, and Congrats on the
1: release. I think you guys had State of Decay two maybe three months ago, four months ago?
8: Yeah, yeah. no, it came out last year. It was so last somewhere year? I think so. Sorry. It's <laughs> Game flies, flies by. Right, and, yeah. yeah. yeah last no. year. Last year. Yeah, though no, that game was in development for a long time too, but uh, you know, I love those yeah. those games. Yeah. All right, so um you're gonna show me a demo here and then Sure, let's yeah. Start. So um I'm just gonna start this up. All right. So this gives you just as we like to preface everything by saying, you know, I was talking about the cult group. But they actually change their nature from playthrough to playthrough. So sometimes they're fully apocalyptic and dangerous. Sometimes they're not. So it's kind of a detective story while you're playing to figure out which group am I dealing with. And then you can make choices. Do I let Alex stay? Do I make him leave? So lots of replayability. Right. Yeah. It's designed to be really replayable. We've got a simple uh, character select screen here. Uh, and then I can pick difficulty levels. I'm just going to go with the regular for now. The harder modes are quite a bit harder. And the very first choice I make is do I go in with a health pack or do I go in with a gun? Uh, and you can play the whole game without a gun if you want to. Well, there's you know, non-lethal solutions for everything. Uh, I'm going to take the gun, though. Yeah, when I see gun or health pack, it's do I want to heal from damage or make sure I don't get damaged? <laughs> right, right. So I'll probably go with the gun. And then this is just some of the backstory, talking about how you know it started in the 60s. The group moved down to South America. Because they hated the U.S. government and felt persecuted, uh, and then you know you're you're going in there. You know communication is strained. You don't know exactly what's going on, and uh, you're going to go try to find your nephew Alex.
1: And so you said you were doing programming, design, and direction. How about art, animation? Is anyone else working yeah, with you on this so project? Like,
8: there's probably about 15 people who've worked on the game at different times. Um, I'm the main full-time person, and then I've got artists who I've worked with before in AAA and some yeah. student, recent graduates and stuff like oh, that awesome. working on it. So a real mix of people. I don't, I don't make art. No, I, that's, <laughs> I'm familiar with that. <laughs> yeah. So this is just starting out. You've got this postcard from your, from your nephew, um, Alex. And it's just saying, everything's fine here. Don't worry about me. But you don't know if you can really trust that, right? So, uh, what engine were you
1: guys using for this?
8: So this is in Unity. Yeah. So I can sprint holding that down. And you see it's got this high up top down perspective. I can zoom in a bit nice. if I want to. But it really plays better from this. Uh, I can hold down this to see where people are looking. Uh, and I can choose to do like a takedown this guy. So I did a non-lethal takedown there cause I'm not, you don't really know. Part of the game is not really knowing how bad these people are. So you shouldn't kill them if it's just, if they're just living their life. They don't, you shouldn't go in and assassinate all of them. Right. But I can search him, uh, and it looks like he's got a gun. So I'm going to take his gun. So when he wakes up. Oh, there he woke up already. Uh, Because the takedown, when you knock someone out, they don't stay out that long. But he's going to run away because he's lost his gun. He doesn't know what's going on. So he'll come back eventually. If I'd been quicker, I could have picked him up and stashed him in that trunk. Uh, But I can search desks and things. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, it's you know a little bit like Hitman, uh, but obviously totally (laughs) different perspective and stuff. Actually, I
1: love the top-down perspective because it's it doesn't seem like you guys are spared really any details. Like if you did zoom in the camera like right on the player, I would still see the same kind of animation. Yeah,
8: you know, yeah, he's still you know we've got you know the animator we had you know our lead animator has like twenty years experience in the industry and stuff. So here they are coming back, and it's what's great about this viewpoint is you can see where everybody Mm -hmm. is. It's like I like games like Dishonored. A lot, Mm. but when you're playing stealth in first person, it just feels really different to like having more situational awareness. Um, So I just evaded those people instead of taking them out. I can use the gun if I want to, uh, but basically you're gonna, you know, if you you get into a shootout with three people, it's not going to end well for you. Uh, But one person, if you, it's sort of a backup. Like if you mess up, you can use it. I can also aim and like throw a rock over there, so that's going to pull someone away. And now I can get out of the way. So,
1: And I feel like, again, taking this top-down approach, you take a lot more of the guesswork out of it. So if I fail, it's like, hey, man, I gave you all the that's information. That's right. That's you know, right.
8: Yeah. So we've got a map, too. So this shows you the whole compound. I'm looking for Preacher Isaac, who's somewhere in the center part. I'm starting way down here. Um if I, uh, you know, I can find information to try to make this pinpoint him better. This For this demo, I'm looking for Preacher Isaac. Um, there's also friendly characters. So this person's got this green circle. So I know I can talk to her. Um, and she's basically saying, you know, why she joined the group, why she's here. Because to me, it's interesting with cults is that we think of them as you know a bunch of crazy people or they're brainwashed but these are just people who like yeah. were trying to do something different with their lives or you know they maybe they had a substance abuse problem or maybe they just believe this really specific thing um so she's just talking about you know why I joined here and I don't really believe it's as bad as you say, but if you can find me some evidence then you know things might be different and then I can ask her more questions I can ask the preacher Isaac and Rebecca are the are the two cult leaders so I can say tell me about Rebecca and she'll say some stuff about that um, so or I can she's still talking about Rebecca I can say, Right. That's, this is this for the full game. I could ask her about Alex and where's he, and then she'd show some information. But right now, my my goal is to uh, try to find that evidence she wanted. Oh, 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 your, your yeah. So we've got a little staging to you know. I I like to think I'm pretty good at this game. Uh, usually <laughs> yes. people don't flee quite as successfully as oh that guy's still coming. So they're drawn towards me when they see me. Here's the idea is you're semi disguised, but not so disguised that when you get close, okay. they won't see you. Right? So um, you
1: kind of look unfamiliar.
8: Right. Right. We got some pigs look, in uh, here too.
1: So sound you, design is a key in something like this as well. As yeah involving proximity. Yeah,
8: so yeah. Yep. If cool once effect. you start pulling out that gun and shooting, it's going to draw effect. everyone around. Very much like State of Decay was was big on that too. You saw the bird a nice there? Touch. Yeah. Yeah. The bird can freak you out at the wrong time because you see that shadow and you're like, "What?" Oh, wait, it's just the bird. So this is a little scene here where these people are praying around this cross and this type of scene will change depending on the nature of the group so they might instead of praying they might be singing or they might be you know in more fearful uh, lots of different variations
1: and again, when we were starting this playthrough, you were kind of saying that, like, oh, depending on the type of cult that is being represented in this playthrough, right. things will be different.
8: Right. So exactly. there's
1: must be some sort of deep underlying cult mechanic with all the different rules, attributes, and variables that you had to build
8: in order to make this game work like that. That must yeah. have been a it was the biggest undertaking challenge was just writing it so that you could have like cult leaders who were. Crazy arguably but we're also kind of Sympathetic where you would hear what they're saying You're like well they kind of have a point about that Because they're big on you know Fighting social injustices And and they think the Vietnam War is wrong And lots of people thought the Vietnam War was wrong Right so um, It's being like well these people are saying things I can kind of get behind but Moving to South America and starting a thing that sounds crazy Right Um, and you can find things Like this newspaper clipping Shows you uh, You know Why the group moved to South America and what people back in the U.S. think of them and stuff like that.
1: And when I'm ready to play this or when you're ready to release it to the world, what platforms can I expect to find it
8: on? Yeah, so we're uh, we're seeing it here on PC, obviously, and then uh, we're going to be PS4 and Xbox. I assumed at least PS4, but yeah. Yeah, I got the controller, right? Yeah, I mean, my background is in console development, so it was really developed controller in mind but it's totally keyboard mouse uh, works too it's totally different aiming me- me- mechanic when you're uh, using keyboard and mouse and so speaking designer to designer what was probably one of your favorite features that you
1: like was like your baby that you developed in getting this game to live and breathe
8: oh well one of the let's see if i can pull it off uh because i do like to encourage non-lethal methods wherever possible just because sometimes games will give you non-lethal but it'll be you know, the less fun version of the game. (laughs) So we've got things like if I see this guy, I can actually, Oh, I didn't do it. I blew it. Oh, now they're shooting me. Um, if I had not messed that up, it is possible to get the drop on someone and they like surrender and then you can search them and take their weapon away uh, and then knock them out or, or just let them go or something like that. Um, that's a more advanced feature. You can tell it's advanced because I blew it too. But, <laughs> but I just wanted to give as many different uh, sort of non-lethal methods as like possible. Like this
1: situation, the enemy NPC, I
8: pull my weapon on them. They're obviously not right. armed in the moment. Let's see if I can get this guy. Of course, the alarm's going off right now. That doesn't help. So there, he surrendered, uh, yeah. see? But this other guy's shooting at me, so it doesn't help. Uh, oh, and they got me. Yeah, he, he got brave once his friend showed up. That's right, it's right. As soon as you drop the gun, so he's coming life-life. after you. <laughs> but now they've actually, they've captured me and put me in this cage by the river. Mm. So this kind of works like an extra life mechanic.
1: I, I anticipated that it was just a single, like, go back and, like, do this over. But right. No, the, the story carries No, it well. gives
8: you a couple of extra chances to see, you know... Okay, we you, we caught you, you know. Don't yeah, we're gonna let you go or something? And they say different things based. That was uh, one of the cult leaders. Uh, they say different things based on you know what their philosophy is that particular playthrough. So you've been working on this game for around four years, a
1: little more than five, four or five, four,
8: four, four to four five, a bit. Yeah.
1: and it's almost done.
8: Yes. So yes. this must be super bittersweet, right? Like the the journey, but then now you're you're getting to the it. top of the I mountain. Oh, I see. I just broke out of the cage while I was looking, and he's going to shoot me. First, he's going to shove me, then he's going to shoot me, and I don't have my guns anymore. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, it's weird to work on something. I mean, I, lots of people work on games for four years, mm-hmm. particularly in AAA and stuff, mm-hmm. but uh, sure, AAA. it's weird you know, when it is a personal project yeah. a little more to just have your life wrapped up so in it. And then it's like, is it done? Okay. Of course, we're going to do post-launch support and stuff and tune things and maybe add some content yeah. that, that we think would be cool. We've got some ideas, but yeah, it's definitely a weird feeling. <laughs> uh, when you say
1: like four years in AAA, usually the person will say like, all right, this is my slice of the experience that I'm right. responsible for, yeah. making sure that it is perfect. And I have a team of brothers who are all doing the same. Well, oh, and sisters. And then together, the culmination of all of our efforts makes this game. Here, you're like, I'm creative director. I'm the lead designer. I'm responsible for, like, every facet of this I'm experience, fixing, top to bottom. i like,
8: UI bugs. Exactly. You know, it's like. It's yeah. a whole it's different connection, right? in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, and it's having that list of stuff you want to do, but having to prioritize whether people are going to notice and mm-hmm. stuff. It's actually great showing it to people like you or, like, uh, people at PAX or something mm-hmm. like that. Because you just watch them play and you're like, oh, that comes up a lot then you know what you need to fix, right? So we are playing a demo right now. Is the demo at least live online and distributable? Or no, this is just your demonstrate, we like, do have an in-person alpha. demo? Okay. We have an alpha that's up on Itch right okay. now that people can check out that's a slice of the game. Um, so it's a different demo than this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, some people have been checking that out. We got a lot of great feedback from that, okay. too.
1: And for our audience who doesn't get to play it themselves, what would you say is probably
8: the most exciting thing that they can look forward to
1: if purchasing this game?
8: I think for me it's just... Trying to make this world that feels like a real living, breathing, cult sort of environment that, like, you're in there, you're seeing these people's lives, you're reading their mail, you know, you're hearing their stories of why they joined or if they want to get out or if they like it there. And I just like that. For me, games are great when you just feel like you're really in a place, you know, and so I I like to think we've done that. So, yeah. Mm All right, guys. Well,
1: that's Richard and I checking out A Church in the Darkness. And, I mean, I'm impressed so far. We're going to chit-chat off camera and get some more details. You guys will have to follow us later to find out what I found out. See ya. Cool. Thanks. So thanks for listening to our podcast. I hope that you're a subscriber. But if you aren't, please feel free to follow us on any of the major podcast platforms, especially iTunes or Spotify you can find show notes and more resources available to help you become a successful game developer just go on over to our website www.gamedevunchain.com. if you're interested in keeping the conversation going then definitely come check us out in discord where we chat in real time for after show tuesdays to discuss episodes and feedback fridays where we share screenshots on the projects that we're currently working on if you go over to patreon.com you can support our podcast financially And if you do so, you'll get access to Life Unchained, our on-the-pulse, unfiltered game dev gossip content that we make exclusively for our Patreon supporters. And as usual, you can keep in touch and follow our happenings on Facebook and Twitter. That's Game Dev Unchained, the podcast.